Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message.
essence of Jesus's life in five phrases. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day is coming. Oh, glorious day. Bow as we pray. Holy Spirit, Speak to us through this message. We open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The New Testament is very Jewish. Jesus himself was Jewish. The early church was Jewish for many years before the gospel was finally preached and received by Gentile believers. All of the writers of the New Testament, uh, except for Luke and the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, were written by Jews. However, Luke himself was very familiar with the Jewish faith. And the reason this is important is when we read the New Testament, we read it through the lens of our culture and our time. And that's okay because God's word is available for all times, all cultures. We can all gain something from it because of its timeless qualities, but sometimes it's important that we understand its Jewish roots because some of the symbolism that's in it all of a sudden takes on a richness that we would not understand. A couple of scriptures to kind of set the tone for this message that I'm preaching this morning in our Jesus is series. We looked at Jesus is God on the first week. We looked last week at Jesus is the only way, and this week, Jesus is our sacrifice. In the early part of John's gospel in the first chapter, John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist looks, and he sees Jesus in the distance, and he makes this statement to those who were listening, the crowd that was there. Remember, the crowd of Jews were coming to John to be baptized. They knew something was going on. They were repenting of their sins, being baptized in the Jordan River. Jesus himself had even come and been baptized. And then God showed that he was Messiah by uh, the Holy Spirit visibly coming upon Jesus. So John now knew who Jesus was. And it says, um, the next day... John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 said these words, For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrifice. To the Jewish, they would understand the Passover lamb. They slaughtered one every year during Passover. But the first Passover was when God passed over and did not kill any of the firstborn of the Israelites, 
but the firstborn of the Egyptians, because there was not blood on their doors, were killed. And see, the original readers of the New Testament would have understand the symbolism of a lamb slain, because they grew up with the sacrificial system and temple worship. As a matter of fact, the temple was still standing while Jesus was there. Lambs were being sacrificed. Other animals were being sacrificed. The smoke from the sacrificial fire went into the sky virtually 24 hours a day. So they understood. And so when John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, or the Apostle Paul says, Jesus, our Passover Lamb, was sacrificed, they would have had an understanding of this that maybe we don't. So I want us to unpack this morning, the attribute of Jesus that he is our sacrifice. And uh, as we go through this, I'll tap into some of the cultural issues. In your notes, I have a statement, and I won't actually deal with this statement until uh, the very end of the message, but it says, how does God really feel about me? How does God really feel about me? This is going to be a very personal message, not that I will be sharing a lot of personal stories, but I want you to take the message very personally in the first person. How does God feel about me? Now, just listen for a second online here. How you answer this question, how you respond to how God feels about you is how you relate to him. If you believe that God is angry, you will act in a certain way. If you believe that God is going to be punishing you, you will act in a certain way. If you really believe that God is your friend, you will act in a certain way. If you really believe that God's desire for you is to make you happy, that's his will for your life to make you happy, then you're going to act in a certain way. How does God really feel about me? When we finish today, I hope you understand how God really feels about you. And as I indicated, the points which I will make, the points that are in the note sheet, I hope you picked one up, are all in the first person because I want you to really put them into your life. We're answering the question this morning, why is Jesus our sacrifice? But as I was preparing the slides, I thought, no, let's ask, answer the question, why is Jesus my sacrifice? Why is Jesus my sacrifice? I'm going to give you six things as we unpack what the Bible says in the New Testament regarding Jesus as being a sacrifice. Why is Jesus my sacrifice? Number one, I have sinned. I have sinned. According to Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in parentheses, I put, and you could actually read this passage of Scripture, Romans 3.23, I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have sinned. Point two this morning, I have earned a death sentence. Now, this one's a little harder. We all, we all understand that we've sinned. We all understand that we haven't done what God would have us to do. We haven't done what we wanted to do. We have sinned, but I have earned a death sentence? Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Most of us who are old enough to have had a job or have a job understand what wages are. Wages are what you have earned. 
And if you are earning $15 an hour after the government takes their part and you get your check, those are your wages. You earn that. If for some reason, and it doesn't happen as much, but I was talking to someone the other day and reminded of uh, people that did piecework. Anybody know what piecework is? A few of you? There used to be times in, in factory settings where you were paid by the amount of pieces that you were able to produce off of your machine. It was called piecework. When I worked as a young boy up to about the age of 16, I actually worked what's called a truck farm. This farm produced strawberries, and they produced tomatoes, and they produced cabbage, and they produced bell peppers and jalapeno peppers and beans. Beans were a big thing there. And what we would do is they would hire young people as well as some migrant workers to come and pick the crops when they came in. And so I would show up at about 7 o'clock, uh, I'm in the morning, actually mom or one of the other neighbors would take us, there was usually three or four from the neighborhood, and we'd go up to the Kalikowski's farm, that was her name. And we would get in the back of a wagon, and we would be taken, the tractor would pull us out, and in the spring, this, well not this time of year, but right around late May, early June, usually early June, we'd go to the strawberry fields. And we would start at the end of a row, and we would pick strawberries. And when you pick strawberries, you pick them in quarts, but you had to have six quarts in this little thing. You wouldn't just carry the individual quarts. There was a carrying thing, three quarts, three quarts, and you would fill six quarts at a time. When you got your six quarts filled properly, and I'm saying filled properly, it wasn't a level quart. You had to heap it a little bit because when this went to the market, the customer would want to see the strawberries heaped. If I dared to bring, and at first that's the way I picked, but then I learned if I dared to bring six quarts only flat, they'd send me back out in the field. Or they'd take one of my quarts and they'd pour it on the other five to get them heaping properly. And what would happen was is this. There was somebody with a notebook. My name was in the notebook. And I would get credit for picking five quarts of strawberries. And I was paid eight cents a quart. Now, remember, this was, this was back before color TV. No, color TV was around, but it certainly was before cable TV. And yes, once in a while, I would see a remnant of a dinosaur still hiding in the woods. That's how old I am. But what that's called is piecework. Those were my wages. I earned eight cents a quart. And if I was able to pick 100 quarts, as some of us were, I've made how much? At eight cents a quart? Eight dollars. Woohoo! Say, I can make that an hour now working at McDonald's. Actually, you can make more than that. Yes, but back then, I'm 12 years old, $8 went a whole lot farther than it does today. Those are my wages. Sin has wages. And the wages of sin is death. That is a reality. The wages of sin is death. And that means. I personally am going to die eternally because of my sins, because I've earned that. I've earned those wages. I've earned eternal separation from God because of my sin, and I can't earn forgiveness for my sins by doing good deeds. Can't do it. And that may be hard for you. One time I was approached by an individual when we were talking about this concept and said, you know, I can understand. I can understand punishment for sin. But wow, eternal separation, death because of sin? Yes, that is the wage you earn. But the second half of that is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is that gift? Here it is. 
Number three, something must die for my sins. Something must die for my sins. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In the temple system, there was constant shedding of blood. There was a shedding of blood for the nation of Israel and their sins. There was a shedding of blood when you would come with a lamb sacrificed for your sin. And that sin covered. Something must die for my sins. That something will be me or a substitute can take my place. That's what point four is. God made it possible for something else to die in my place. I've earned the wages of sin, personal death, eternal separation from God. Something else can die in my place. And in the Old Testament, it could be a lamb, it could be a goat, it could be a bull. But some animal died in the place of the sinner. Some animal paid their wages. The wages of sin is death. All of us would need to have something die for us to receive forgiveness. And the Bible word for this is atonement. To atone means to make amends, to pay the penalty, to make things right between people. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But here's where it got a little bit trickier. Animal blood was only temporary. The shedding of that blood took care of those sins, but then I was going to sin again. You were going to sin again. We all were going to sin again. And something was going to have to die again. I just want to say this, from the way that God set this up, the forgiveness of sins is a very bloody thing. Please understand that. The forgiveness of sins is a very bloody thing. On the temple in Jerusalem, where the animals were being sacrificed, blood was all over the place. It was being splashed on the altars. It, when, you, when you sever the, uh, the carotid arteries of an animal so that the blood would drain out. And it was just, it was just a bloody thing. The garments of the priests who did uh, this were very bloody. And then the animal would be placed on the fire of the altar and then burned. Forgiveness of sins is a very bloody thing. And it has been all the way through history because that's the way God set it up. So remember... I am a sinner. I have earned a death sentence for my sins. Something must die for my sins, either me or something else. The wages must be paid. Blood must be shed. And God made it possible for something else to die in my place. Point five is probably the central part of this entire message. Here it comes. God the Father chose to offer his son Jesus as the blood sacrifice for my sins. The Old Testament, we had an animal sacrificial system, but God was already planning on there being a permanent way to take care of sins. And God the Father chose to offer his son Jesus as the blood sacrifice for my sins, and God the Son chose to be a perfect sacrifice for my sins. Look at what 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Please understand, God freely chose to offer his son, and Jesus freely chose to be the perfect sacrifice. God made a way, planned on making a way, had worked this plan out to make a way because he loved you and he loved me so much. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for the son or for our sins. First Peter chapter 2 verse 24 says this, he himself referring to Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. One of the things that would take place in the Old Testament when an animal is to be sacrificed, very often there would be the laying of hands upon them. Um, let's imagine that this particular monitor speaker here is, a, is an animal that is going to be sacrificed. The people who were going to have it sacrificed for their sins would actually lay their hands on the animal's head and their sin would be put upon the animal in a supernatural way. And when the animal died, then the animal died for the sin that was on it. That's, and again, that's why the, the Jewish symbolism here. But do you hear what First Peter says, what Peter said? He himself bore our sins. What happens is God placed your sin, my sin, the sin of all of mankind, literally placed it on the body of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, perfect, sinless, all of the sin was placed there, so when he died, when his body was pierced, when his blood was shed, when he died, all of the sin that was upon him was paid for. The wages were paid. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says this. When we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time to die for us sinners. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. For God made Christ, who never sinned. I'm jumping to 2 Corinthians here. Let me go back and read that Romans verse again, because I misread it. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time to die for us sinners. Now, most of us would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. Jesus died for us when we were not especially good, when we were away from him, when we were full of sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned. Jesus never sinned. He was born sinless and never sinned. For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin or the perfect sacrifice so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus literally took all of the sin of mankind into his body on the cross and he shed his blood for these sins. I remember, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But Jesus atoned for your sin and my sin by shedding his blood. That's why I put it in the first person. I have sinned. I have earned a death sentence. Something must die for my sin. God made it possible for something else to take my place. 
or to die in my place. And then God the Father chose to offer his son Jesus as the blood sacrifice for my sin. And God the Son, Jesus, chose to be the perfect sacrifice for my sins. It's a phrase that has been around for many years. I don't know who said it first, but it has been around coming up on the screen. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because I had a debt I could not pay. There's a song based on these words, but there's truth in this. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. He was sinless. He did not owe a sin debt because I had a debt I could not pay. Pastor Evan could not pay the debt for his sin. As good of a decent person that he was, raised in a Christian home, you know, probably didn't have a great deal of sin, but he was a sinner. He admits it. So do I. I had a debt I could not pay, so Jesus paid it for me 2,000 years ago, which leads us to point six. I am given a choice. I can accept the gift or reject the gift. Romans 6.23 again, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God offers each person, each person here, each person at home, actually he's offering each person around the world a gift. That gift is forgiveness of sin and eternal life with him forever in heaven. But it is a gift that we must receive. I am given a choice. I can accept the gift or reject the gift. Now, I use that the reject is a strong term, but it's the best, it's the clearest word to communicate. But let me explain that. Many people do not outright reject it. I, I, don't, I, I don't believe that. I just, I, I just reject that. that. That's foolishness to me. Some do. Some do. You know how most people reject the gift? They don't really pay much attention to it. They just go on with their life. They say, yeah, that's, that's kind of nice. Someday I might get to that. That's rejecting. That's rejecting. You know, if I was to offer a gift of money, which I cannot offer because I have none in my wallet, which drives my wife nuts. But I do have a credit card with a halfway decent balance on it, which nowadays, if I handed that to someone, and you put it in the machine, you're going to be able to buy things, aren't you? Aren't you? <laughs> Until I shut the credit card down. So... Pastor Evan, if I wanted to give you my credit card as a gift so that you could go and purchase whatever you've had on your heart to purchase, um, you'd have to do something with this gift, right? What would you have to do? What? Take it. Accept it. Receive it. If you said, you know, that's so generous of you, Pastor. Oh, my goodness. No one has ever done anything like that for me before. Oh, you are the man. And, you know, he gave me a high five and everything else. And then he went off and did his own thing. And I'm sitting here holding it. And then he came up and he, he, he went over there and he talked to Hadley. He said, Hadley, you'll never believe it. You know what, Pastor Rick? 
oh, oh, no one's ever done anything like that for me before. Really? And Hadley say, wow, you've got his credit card. Oh, no, no, not well, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't get it yet. But, but he offered it to me. Maybe I'll go back and get it later sometime when I really need it. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons people reject the gift of God. And if it was a $100 bill, it would have probably been a more effective illustration. And you probably would have been up here a lot quicker because you know if my credit card went into your pocket, I would um, call Visa quickly. What burdens me is that God has made the way for the sins of those who are here, those who are watching online. God has made a way for every single sin to be forgiven. And he's offered the gift. The question is, what have you done with the gift? You're given a choice. Have you accepted the gift, opening your heart to Jesus, Admitting that you're a sinner, repenting, and then choosing to live for him. Have you accepted the gift? Or have you rejected the gift? That's the question. And that's a question that we all need to answer. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. That's what it takes, a belief. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. It's not a reward. It's a gift. Going back to that original question at the top of your note sheet, how does God really feel about me? How does God really feel about me? He loves you more than you will ever know. He gave his best so that you can live eternally with him in heaven. Bring up that next scripture. How does God really feel about me? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 says this. Just look at the words. Don't try and look them up. Look at the words on the screen. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere silver and gold which lose their value. We recently, and TV people, you can come back to me for a second off the scripture. Sometimes they don't know when I'm going to interject things here. We recently opened a safe in my parents' home. We didn't have a combination, so we had to get a, a, um, a locksmith to come in. We opened a safe in my parents' home. It's been there for years and years and years and years. We didn't know what was in it. We knew there was some, probably some papers in there, but we already had the will and we had other things. But how does God really feel about me? When we opened it, actually, I wasn't there. I just got the pictures. My sisters opened it. There was a, a wicker basket. In the wicker basket was 27 pounds of silver coins. 27 pounds of silver coins. Now, these were the older silver coins that aren't just part silver. These are silver coins. Oldest, 1892 silver dollars. An 1892 silver dollar goes at a, for a coin show, 20-some dollars a piece, which is really good, except silver right now is almost $30 an ounce. The silver value of these coins is considerable. We, we tried to figure it out. We think it's about $12,000. 27 pounds of silver is worth $12,000, right? 
right now, approximately. But what First Peter said, into a culture whose monetary system was gold and silver. Peter said, gold and silver are just mere gold and silver. Their value is nothing compared to what God chose to ransom you and I. For you know that God paid a ransom, he paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold and silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. How does God really feel about me? Personalize it for you. He loves you so much that he would take the most precious thing available to him. Not gold, not silver, not platinum, not diamonds. Blood. Perfect, precious blood. But not animal blood. The blood of the Son of God. The blood of God himself in a human body shed for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. He thought you were so special that before you were even born, he made a way. He knew that you were going to sin, but he made a way. He made a way for you to be forgiven if you would just receive the gift. If you're far from God today, he loves you. If you're close to God, he loves you. If you're in deep rebellion and sin, he loves you. You don't believe anything that I've said today. He loves you. As the team makes its way to the platform, I am going to pray the scripture over you, and then we are going to respond with an old chorus that catches the essence of this. Bow your heads. Lord, we want to thank you that you paid a ransom to save us from the empty life we inherited from our ancestors. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve who sinned, and that sin nature has been passed on to this very day to us. But God, you paid a ransom to save us, to save me from the empty life. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. In light of eternity, I guess they do lose their value. In our current economy, silver is gaining in value, but really, when it comes to eternal things, gold and silver lose their value. But you paid that ransom with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Oh God, our Father, you chose him to be that ransom even before the world began. But it's now been revealed 
we thank you for this. For Lord, this is how you showed your love among us. You sent your one and only son into this world, into our world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved you, God, but that you loved us. And sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Lord, this morning, as we reflect upon what you did, why Jesus is our sacrifice, why Jesus is my sacrifice, Lord, we, 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 we sit a little bit in awe. You loved us so much, and you gave so willingly, so generously, so sacrificially. Father, you offered your son, and Jesus, you willingly chose to be our perfect sacrifice. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.